exclusive. You know, we're in a series called 28 Days to Tell the Truth. And I'm amazed that not only that we lie precociously, I'm also amazed at where we lie. There's stories in the Bible that just make you go, huh. You know, when you read them, you just go, really? Can you really be that dumb? Because it's not only that you would tell a lie to God, but you would tell a lie to God in church. Sometimes I think we do that when we praise and worship. I love that song. We heard it a couple of months ago when we took our interns and and we went down to a church in Alabama. They sang that song and oh my goodness, it just thrilled my heart. But the fact is, some of you didn't come today to worship him. You sang it. Because it was words on a screen, you felt it was all right to say when in your heart, I didn't know why you came. Some of you are here today simply out of sense of obligation. Others are here because you've done it for so long, you really don't know anything else to do on a Sunday morning at 9.30. There's others you came because someone nagged you, bagged you, and brought you here. And then there's some of you here that you're here and it's just been a rough week and you came to get something instead of to worship something. I'm amazed at how many times, not only that we lie, but where we lie. And it's the where when we lie and the lying that makes me go, huh, really? Turn to Acts chapter 5. You're going to read one of the most incredible stories in the entire Bible. It's a story of a married couple named Ananias and Sapphira. They lied. They lied to God. They lied in church. And because of the lie they each told to the church, they both died in church that day. Now, let's just get a hold of that just a second. Because of the lie they told to God in church that day. They died. (laughs) Good question to ask. Show a hand. No, don't raise your hand. How many of you would have been dead by now? Telling a lie to God in his house. Let's unpack the story. Look at verse 1. It starts off with this phrase, now, or this word, now. And it lets us know a couple of things when you look at that that word now. First of all, it lets us know that not all the conversations that went on between chapter 4 and chapter 5 and in chapter 5 are recorded for us. This is kind of like the ESPN version. Peter's just hitting the highlights. The second thing now means is it means in contrast to. So when Peter says... In contrast to now, you got to look at it and say, okay, in contrast to what? Chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. See, there was a man named Barnabas who was a, a fairly wealthy man, and the Spirit of God was just so prominent upon the churches, and the need was great in the church, and God was blessing the church, and souls were being saved in the church. 
that he had some properties that he sold and he came and he brought it to Peter and just simply with no strings attached, freely gave it to the church. And oh my goodness, the church went, well done Barnabas, excellent job. Could you hear, could you believe what Barnabas did? This guy is awesome. He's like a radical faith walker. I mean, this guy is totally walking in the way. I mean, he's got it going on. And I mean, the church was just bragging on him something and in contrast to his generosity in contrast to his free expression of worship in contrast to his no strings attached giving and lifestyle you have a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira and they sold a piece of property matter of fact I I want you to understand that when they sold a piece of property, I want you to understand this isn't Christian communism. This doesn't mean that we're supposed to all sell our stuff, put it in one big pot, and everybody live off of, of the collective you know, giving of, of all of us. It just simply means that as God blessed those in that early church, they gave of their own free will. And so Ananias and Sapphira saw that action of Barnabas and what they wanted is they wanted the praise that the church gave Barnabas what they did not see is that what Barnabas gave was an expression of worship to God and God's people always respond to worship I can tell you just kind of key moments in the history of Kirby Church where their songs and worship just kind of tied together that no matter how many times we sing a song, I go back to that moment. We sing the song sometimes, Prince of Peace. I'm not going to sing it, but, you know, the, the, the Prince of Peace, the girls sing one part, the guys sing one part. And it was after our teenagers came back from a mission trip. This is like years ago. And it was just incredible, moving in spirit of God. And, and I'm telling you, every time... We sing that song. I don't care who is up on stage. I see guys like, like Struthers and Ryan Newsom and Kristen Anthony now. She was Claypool then. I, I just see this whole row of about, or standing of about 10, 12 people who were worshiping. And that's what Barnabas was doing. No strings attached, no lies, no pretense. It was just simple worship. And Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted the praise. But they didn't want the sacrifice. They wanted the kudos, but they didn't want the inconvenience of what it took to give. See, for Barnabas and for Ananias and Sapphira, isn't an act of their own free will. They could have given 100%, 50%, 10%. It was their property. It was their choice. In fact, their sin is explained three times. Verse 3, verse 4, and verse 9. God does not want you to miss the point. The issue is not the money. The issue is the heart. Then you look at verse 2. It's an interesting phrase. It says, Can his, with his wife's full knowledge... With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back a part of the money for himself. That phrase, full knowledge, implies they made, both of them, husband and wife, they made a deliberate, premeditated, conscious, intentional decision together 
And both of them understood the ramifications. And here's how I think, and we don't have this conversation recorded, but here's how I think it worked out. I think that Ananias and Sapphira got together and said, you know, listen, honey, we, we, God's been good to us, and, and we've, been, we've been good people, and, and, you know, there's just some things we'd like to give, and, and, and you know, nobody's going to know what we, you know, there's no MLS listings. I mean, nobody's going to know. We don't publish it in the courthouse. Nobody's going to know what we sell the house for. So here's what we'll do. We'll sell the house for whatever we can get out of it. And, and for whatever we can get out of it, we'll keep maybe 30% and give God the 70%. Or maybe it was a 60-40 split or a 50-50 split. It doesn't matter. It was a heart condition, not a money thing. And so they had this, and then they both premeditate, pre, with premeditation and with deliberate intentionality in their heart said... That's the plan. That's what we're going to do. So you understand what they agreed to. We're going to stand in front of Peter and the entire church and act like we have surrendered everything. When really we've only given a fraction of what we got. By the way, I know a lot of Christians like that. You come to church every Sunday and you pretend. You pretend like you have surrendered to God everything, but you have only given him a fraction of the whole of you. So with their full knowledge, he kept back. By the way, that phrase kept back. It's, it's a Greek word that's only used here in the entire Bible and in the entire New Testament. And it has the idea that they would sell some of the property, keep a certain amount of the proceeds for themselves, go to church like they gave the entire amount. This phrase means to misappropriate money, to steal, or to embezzle. Well, let me ask you, if it's their property, if it's their house, who are they embezzling from? Who are they stealing from? Evidently, there had to be some kind of a, a, of a proclamation on Ananias and Sapphira's behalf that they stood and said, you know, we too, like Barnabas, will sell our property and whatever the Lord blesses us with out of the property, we will give it to the church. They stole from God. You know, the devil will have you believe that you can do one sin and sin, it stands in isolation. I'm telling you, sin has a domino effect. I don't know of one sin I could commit alone. It's kind of like potato chips. You just can't eat one potato chip. It has, you want more and you want more and, and sin's the same way. They told a lie, but then there's deception. They told a lie and then there was, they told a lie and now they're embezzling. You understand that sin just has this ripple effect. And then in verse 3, Ananias brought the money according to the plan. No doubt it expected the applause and the love of everybody in verse 3. And notice what happens. Peter said, Ananias, and I don't know if he paused there. The comma is not in the original languages that was added later and later. They didn't have that as part of their punctuation. He just said, Ananias, how is it? And Ananias is probably going, oh, here it comes. He's, gonna, he's, he's loving me. Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart? The word filled your heart means to control, to influence. Peter was saying, Ananias, Ananias, 
irrespected member in our church, probably was a leader in the church. Ananias, how in the world can you let Satan have so much influence over you that you would do something as stupid as this, lying to God in his house? Ananias, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit of God? I would imagine in that church, on that day, in that moment, you could have heard a pin drop on carpet. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit and kept back part for yourself? Peter's question was how could you let Satan influence you to this degree? How could your thinking get so far off track? How could you take something good and twist it into something so pathetic? Ananias, how could you do this? People, come on, it just started with one little lie. It, it just started with a little plan that wasn't going to hurt anybody. It was just Ananias and Sapphira saying they were going to give everything, having a holy little huddle, deciding they weren't going to give it all, but pretending like they did. I mean, it was just a simple little lie. It was simple, a, a little pretend game, a, a shell game going on with the church. And yet God called him out through the apostle Peter and said, listen, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit of God. You've kept some of the land and the money you received from the land. Boy, it was out now. Everybody knew. There's a funny thing about sin, isn't it? We always think we can keep it secret, hidden, tucked away. You ever read the Bible? The Bible's got this wonderful phrase, sentence, verse in the book of Numbers, chapter 32, verse 23. It says, be sure your sins will find you out. Here is Ananias totally being called out by God. Peter said, you lied to God. Lie carries the idea of a double sin, both of deceit and dishonesty. He lacked honesty and integrity by, buying only, by bringing only a part of the proceeds while pretending to bring the whole amount. He wanted credit for sacrificial giving without the convenience of it or the inconvenience of it. And many want credit for sacrificial living without the inconvenience of it. So what mass did you walk through the front door of the church with today? Your marriage may be in trouble, but did you walk with, through the door with the mask that, hey, we got it all together. Life is good. What mask did you walk through the door with? What lie are you telling God in his house to, to the Holy Spirit? Peter says that there was clearly no need for the sin. He said, didn't it belong to you before you sold it? And after it wasn't the money yours for your disposal, you didn't have to lie. If you wanted to give 10%, that's, that would have been fine. If the, the church would have been ahead. If you wanted to give 25%, that would have been fine. The church would have been blessed. That You didn't have to lie, Ananias. What made you think of doing such a thing? Doesn't that just sound like a parent to a child, doesn't it? Matter of fact, that phrase, what makes you think, <laughs> that you could do such a thing 
again, points us to the fact that he lied to God. Verse 5 and 6 shows the result of the sin of lying to the church. He died right there. You can read the passage, and I hope you have your Bibles open. And notice what happened. Great fear. I'm telling you, you stand up. God calls you out. You lie in church. I'm going to start thinking of all the things I may have been misleading on too. Of course, what they did is put it in the context of our day. They would say, all right, Brother Richard, you and Scott Wigginton, come get the fella, take him out back, bury him. How would you like to be an usher at church that day? You didn't collect offering, you collected dead people. And great fear seized everybody when they heard what would happen. The young man came forward, wrapped up his body, and they carried him out, and they buried him. Verse 7, here comes Sapphira. Three hours had passed. She might have been out shopping. It might have been for effect. She might have been with her, with her lady friends. She might have been doing some, wrapping up some final business dealings. I don't know what she was doing. The Bible just says about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, said, tell me. He gives her the out. He doesn't know if she's heard about Ananias. She doesn't come in weeping. She doesn't come in sobbing. She doesn't come in repenting. So Peter says, tell me, as she presents her money before everybody, is this the price? And the, the, the phrase in the original language is, is this the exact price? In other words, are you presenting what you got out of the land? And she said, yes. This is the exact amount. Stupid. What is it that makes we think we can lie to God in his house or out of his house? It's absolutely ludicrous. Look at verse 9. This is a great verse. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? You know what that phrase means in the original language? Because sometimes words are hard to translate. He said, why did you see how much you could get away with? Why did you try to presume as if God wouldn't act? In essence, she was tempting God by stretching him to the limits of his judgment to see if he would do what he said would do why are you trying to get away why are you trying to see how much you're trying to get away with one of my favorite stories to tell is is when my son Benjamin my youngest son when he just first started sipping out of the of the the sippy cup and you know everybody has the not everybody but most people have the rule you know you got to drink in the kitchen you know because spilling the sippy cup and all that and and so you had to stay in the, and we had linoleum and so Ben had to stay on the linoleum it's hard to say he had to stay on the non-carpeted flooring and so my son would look at me every bit of what, maybe three years old? He would look at me barefoot because we lived in the South. And, and, and the linoleum in the carpet, you know, you always have that, that metal strip that connects the two. And my son would sit there with his, stand there with his sippy cup and put his toe just over the linoleum, his big toe on the carpet. And I'd just look at him. 
And he looked at me. And he looked at me with that little look. Okay, buddy, what are you going to do about it? I'm going to cut off your toe. That's what I'm going to do about it. And there's something in us that tries to see just how much we can get away with. We, we think we would learn by the time we become adults not to do that, wouldn't we? But there's a lot of you. God says, uh-uh, listen, let's draw the line right here. And you will tempt God. You'll see just how much you can get away with. And you'll put your toe over the line just to see if God will do to see if anything going to happen. Why is it that we Christians want to live close to that line anyway? If this line represents being far away from God, why don't we want to go back to the point where we're the closest to God? Why do we want to live on that edge instead of his center? Why are we so much like Ananias and Sapphira just wanting to see just how much we could get away with So he says, how could you lie and, and agree to test the spirit of God? And, and then he says, look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they're going to carry you out also. She didn't get a chance to say another word. Verse 10 and 11 says she found dead the same men who carried her husband out three hours earlier. Peter called the ushers back to the front. They took her out and buried two people in one day in great Fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, I'm telling you, this story kind of shakes me up just a little bit, a lot. I I can empathize with that great fear seized the whole church because I still see a whole lot of lying going on in the church. Let me tell you three lies that, that I hear a lot. I hear them from believers and I hear them from from non-believers. Let me just kind of throw them out there for you real quick as we kind of wrap it up. The first lie I hear is that, hey, if sin doesn't hurt anybody, then it's really not a sin. You ever heard that one? Hey, if it doesn't hurt anybody, well, it's really not a sin. You take the issue of morality out of it. You take God's subjective truth out of it. You take the rightness and wrongness and what thus saith the word of the Lord. You become the own, your own arbiter of truth and you decide if it doesn't hurt anybody, then it's okay. Well, let's call up Ananias and Sapphira right now. Let's see if that holds water. The fact of the matter is sin is sin. And no matter if it hurts another soul in this world, and I believe sin always has repercussions in this ripple effect, and and I don't think sin cannot, I, I think sin does hurt other people, but even if it did not, it would severely affect you. Christian, you sin, your relationship with God starts to become strained. Just like your husband and wife, if you're fussing, if you're fighting, if you're at, Ill, at odds with each other, if you're not getting along good, I mean, it's just the blessings aren't there and the anointing's not there and the presence of God is not there. Worship becomes a, a duty. The songs are just, you know, images of photon waves up on the screen. I mean, it, it is just stuff. It's routine. It's ritual that you go to. 
And the fact of the matter is, your sin hurts you, your sin offends God, and somewhere your sin's going to hurt others. I've had people say, well, you know, I, uh, I, can, I can do recreational drugs. Since it doesn't hurt anybody else, it's okay. I can look at porn on the internet. Since it doesn't hurt anybody else, it's okay. I can tell lies of convenience, and because it doesn't hurt anybody else, it's okay. Listen, God has a standard of truth. Don't test the limits of God. Don't put your foot on the carpet across the millennium. Right is right, wrong is wrong. Don't see how far to the edge you could live. Walk back and see how close to Jesus Christ you could live. The second lie that I hear told around a lot is this. I could sin and get away with it. We've all said that one, haven't we? I can sin and get away. I can do it and get away with it. Ananias and Sapphira, hey, we can do this. Get away with it. The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, whatsoever man sows, whatever he plants in the ground, that's what he's going to harvest. You can't sin and get away with it. One final lie I just want to throw out there is that, and I hear this a lot from unbelievers. Unbelievers will say, you know, are you ready to accept Christ as your Savior today? And they'll go, no, because I got plenty of time. I got plenty of time. I got next Sunday because you're going to have church next Sunday. Yep, we're going to have church next Sunday. I guarantee you, people will die this week. You might be one of them, but we're going to have church next Sunday. If the rapture comes this week, I guarantee you there will still be people at this church next Sunday. I hope it's not you, but there are going to be folks who come. See, we believe the lie of Satan that we have plenty of time. We got plenty of time to make things right. We have plenty of time to straighten out the lies. We have plenty of time to make it right with God. We have plenty of time to deal with the sin issue in our hearts. And the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You're not promised of tomorrow. That's the lie. That's the lie. That you and I are promised another day. You say, well, God owes me a good, long life. Boy, that's another lie that I'll talk about sometime down the road. But I'm telling you what, God gave his only begotten son to die for your sins on the cross. Then he gives you the choice to accept or reject his son, Jesus Christ, in the time that you've been given. And beyond that, he owes you nothing. Because you're outside the family of God. Once you're inside the family of God, he treats you as a son. And he becomes to you as a father. So are you one of those who say, well, I got plenty of time. Listen, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. We can tell God we're sorry and we're all, it's all good because we believe the lie that, hey, if it doesn't hurt anybody else, it's okay. But you know the story of Ananias and Sapphira before they could say a word except for one simple sentence answer from Sapphira. They had no time to deal with the sin in their heart. 
right now you have time. Don't believe the lie of Satan. Learn from the lesson of Ananias and Sapphira. Let's not in the next few moments lie to God in his house. Will you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes for just a moment? There may be some Christians here today. And you have secret sin. You, you have sins that you think that you can get away with. That you think, well, if it doesn't hurt anybody else, it's okay. God says, no. You don't live with your foot and your toe on the carpet. You live as close to me as you can. Don't believe Satan's lie any longer. Sin is wrong. And today, believer, you need to deal with that sin. Maybe you're here today and you're a non-believer. You've been in church and, and you've heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God has spoken to your heart on several occasions. And you've kind of bought into the lie. Nope, I got plenty of time. 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 One of two things. You keep telling God no long enough, believing the lie. You got plenty of time. God will say, okay, I'm not going to speak to your heart anymore. Or you can just die. There's no overtime. There's no second chances after death. You die, your choice is sealed for eternity. You have time right now. Don't believe the lie. All right, now let's be honest. In God's house, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Christians, let me talk to you just for a second. How many of you would say, Pastor, I come to church and I have secret sin. I got things in my life that if it were exposed, I would be so embarrassed. My sin affects God, it affects me, and it affects others. I understand that. I refuse to believe the lie of the devil any longer. I just gotta deal with some things. I wonder if there's a Christian in here. You'd be honest in God's house this morning and say, Pastor, pray for me. There's some things going on in my life, in my world, that I need God to help me with. So I wonder if there's somebody you would just very quietly raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you, man. Just many of us are raising our hands. Matter of fact, today would be a good day to put it into that lie and just come and have a little time of prayer. And if you're here today and you've bought into the lie that you've got plenty of time, I don't know how much time you have. All I know is you have this time right now in God's house to be honest with him and admit that you're a sinner and invite Jesus Christ into your heart and to become a follower of him. And you do that by simply start. It starts by simply praying a prayer. And here's a simple prayer. It is not a magical prayer. It is just a simple prayer that you could pray. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Just repeat it in your heart. If you're not a believer, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Right now, I invite you into my heart. I confess every sin. The ones that people know about and those that people don't know about. From this day forward, I want to live for you. And I wonder, is there anybody here this morning, you just right now, 
ask Jesus Christ into your heart. Never prayed that prayer before. Right now where you sit, you ask Jesus Christ in your heart. Nobody's looking around. Would you just raise your hand? Just let me know and, and, uh, and we can celebrate together. Anyone in here this morning? Anyone? The rest of us stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Many of us raised our hands about sin and issues that privately go on in our heart. May the next few moments, whether it's at your seat or at an altar of prayer, you deal with those things. Father, I pray that you speak to our hearts. God, I pray that you challenge us with the truth of who we are and the sins that we're committing.